Well, hello, and thank you so much for tuning in to another CMYK podcast. My name is Matt, and the intro of this podcast is a little different if you are a regular listener. And I wanted to just flag you really quickly before we jump into the talk that at the end of this podcast, there's some pretty significant seismic announcements that we have to bring to you as far as the future of CMYK and what's ahead for us. And I just wanted to make sure you knew that that was a thing. So you had the opportunity to listen to it. So uh, as always, we hope you listen to everything, but if for whatever reason, uh, you got to jump out at some point, please do your best to come back and listen to at least the end of this thing. uh, Because we just want you to be in the know. As always, thank you for being a part of this. Thank you to those of you that listen regularly. Thank you, thank you to those of you that bring your finances and resources and help us in our work with CMYK by giving regularly. This thing would go away on many levels if we didn't have uh, this community just bringing whatever they have to the table and saying, I can contribute and be a part in this way. So thank you to those of you that are continuing to do that. As always, if you have any questions or anything uh, that you want want to just dig deeper on with this thing called CMYK, would encourage you to head to our website at cmykchurch.com. Without further ado, here we go. Tonight, what we're doing is we're jumping into this thing known as Advent. And um, it's Christmas can be an interesting season and just religion in general can be an interesting thing because there's all these words that we potentially grew up with. There's all these ideas and phrases and statements like this morning at a morning gathering when we sing songs, we sing Hark the Herald Angels Sing, which nobody woke up thinking that statement because what the heck are you saying when you say something like that? There's so many words that just become accustomed to hearing and even saying these things, but we really don't know what they mean or what they're about or what they're for. And that can be Christmas that can be religion many times. And part of our work, I think, as CMYK is to work to understand, okay, is there something behind this? And is the thing behind it worth continuing to hold on to? Or do we need to maybe just kind of set it aside and go, okay, uh, we don't need to, that's not a thing. That doesn't need to be a thing. Or maybe there's something there in this word, in this statement, in this idea that has uh, potential for beauty and growth and life for us individually and as a community. And And tonight, we're stepping into this season and this series known as Advent, which is one of those words. What does it mean? What is it for? Is this just a season uh, that has a lot of religious connotations that we really don't need to worry about and can kind of set aside? Or is there something behind it? Many of us potentially grew up with an Advent calendar, this thing that um, we you know, have on our wall and we're anticipating, we're excited uh, to open the door or have a piece of candy that comes out of the Advent calendar, whatever it was. But what actually is happening with this practice and with this word? Advent, simply defined, is the coming. It's an anticipation of something to come. You are hoping and putting yourself in a place, in a space, where you believe that where you are is not where you will always be. And that there is something to come that is worthy of looking forward to, worthy of anticipating. And many of us have spent a lot of different seasons in our life where where we were is not where we wanted to be. And Advent is one of these things, and I believe one of these practices that helps us 
process these experiences of I don't want to be here, I don't like this. And Advent is this work of saying, okay, where I am is not where I'm always going to be, and there is something potentially coming, particularly when it comes to the Christian calendar and this Christian tradition and practice of Advent. It's an anticipation, a hope, and a belief of the coming of Christ. Christmas Day, December 25th, that's what the Advent calendar is about. Every single day, you open the little door or whatever it is, anticipating, oh, this moment is coming. And so what we're doing tonight and over the next couple of weeks is taking this concept and this idea and asking the question, okay, is this just about Christmas or is there something behind this practice and this idea, this word that we can find beauty for our lives? And so we're going to do that and um, then spend some time allowing you to what we call meditate or process or write or think, whatever it is, whatever word you'd bring on that. And to kind of think through this idea of Advent for yourself and what it could look like this evening. But to do that, we got to talk about something. In the midst of everything happening in the world, everything going on, we have to talk about the year 900 BC because that's what we got to talk about, right? When you all pull out your phones and see what's going on in the world, social media news, 900 BC needs to be right on the top of that list for us tonight. 900 BC is a significant year within history specifically when it comes to Judeo-Christian history. Because what we see historically taking place, whether it's in the scriptures or just historically looking at the raw data that we have as a species, what was taking place in this time, there was a nation of people that had risen to some level of prominence and significance. They started out as a ragtag group of ex-slaves that worked to figure out who they are, what they want to be about, and they end up founding a nation, this tribe, becomes something significant in the world known as the Nation of Israel. And when it comes to all the metrics of what a successful nation is, this nation of Israel is hitting all of those targets. They've got a monarchy that is incredibly rich. They're building temples. They're building castles and palaces, things that, again, when you look at a country and a nation, you say, is this something significant and worthwhile? Everybody's looking, going, man, look at what they're building. Look at what they're doing. They have trade routes. They have people that are coming to their nation for different resources, and they have connections and treaties with other nations to get their resources. Again, success on every level for what this nation and country looks like. So this ragtag group of people, this family, this 12 tribes, the nation of Israel has become something prominent that other countries and nations are looking at them and saying, wow, these guys have it going on. But in 900 BC, something happens. And a civil war breaks out, and the civil war ends up seeing the separation of this once great nation into two separate nations. And so you have a northern kingdom that holds on to the name of Israel, and you have this southern kingdom that takes on the name Judah. Once one, one once great nation is now two. And they're in a place where they're trying to create their own dominance as their individual nations and show themselves to be significant and great and awesome, because that's a especially what you do in the midst of a tribal society. But then, a few years later, we see this take place. In the year 740 BC, the northern nation comes under oppression by the new world power. Now, this is BC, so we're counting down to zero, okay? And not counting up like we are in our current uh, timeline. And so it was a couple hundred years later that the northern nation of Israel all of a sudden, begins to feel this pressure of a more northern country known as Assyria. And Assyria is a similar story. They're starting to gain in power and prominence and significance. And what you do in a tribalistic culture is you try to show and assert yourself 
on other people and say, we are significant, we are powerful. And this is what's happening in this moment. That Assyria begins to put pressure on the nation of Israel and ends up actually taking over, taking down this nation. And all of a sudden, this once great people, the nation of Israel, split into two, and this northern part of it is under the foot of the Assyrians. Well, the brothers and sisters to the south, Judah, they're, they're watching their once family members. They're watching all of this happen. And so something else happens in 740 BC. The southern nation gets indigestion because they begin to feel the pressure for themselves. They begin to feel and understand Maybe we're not as great as we thought we were, and maybe this thing that's coming for us, it came for them, and now everything that happened for them is going to happen for us as well. And what happens in a tribal society and culture is when a nation is taken over, it's not just you change the flag over the Capitol building because now you are the nation under the power of Assyria. But in a tribal culture, to be under the oppression of another nation means that you in all of your belief system, in your structures, your governments, your ideals for who you are and how you go about life, all of a sudden are less than, because the Assyrians won. And so it's their belief system, their culture, their ideas, their gods that are the dominant gods. And you have a lesser belief system. Your ideas and thoughts and hopes for the world don't matter as much because you're under the foot of the Assyrians. They're the ones that matter. And so here's Judah to the south, and they begin to feel this indigestion in 740 BC because all of a sudden they're asking themselves the question, are our ideas, our beliefs, our hopes, our visions for the world, are they lesser? Am I going to see everything that I love crumble as Assyria continues to dominate? This pressure that I feel of what's coming and as Assyria continues to grow, is that something that I should be concerned of for my own life? And it's in this year, 740 BC, that there's a writer, it's called a prophet, begins to pen some words and speak to his people about how to process this pressure, this potential for pain that's headed their way. And you can think about all the different paths that you take when it comes to potential pressure from a, an enemy nation? How do you process that? Do you pen a letter and try to rally the troops and say, take up arms, we can do this? Do you try to just say, hey, just give up, everybody. We once were great, but we're not that great. Let's just be honest. We can all be Assyrians. It'll, it's going to be fine. Just survive. That's what we've got to do. What do you do in this moment as someone that's trying to speak words to your countrymen and women about how to process this mounting pressure and pain? And it's in the book of Isaiah that we find many of these writings communicating to his people about what's to come. And these are the words that he chooses to bring to the situation. Isaiah chapter 2 says the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. He says, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come. 
Let us walk in the light of the Lord. Why would these words be the words to pen when you are experiencing mounting pressure and pain in your life? For me, the significance of this text and this passage is found in that second line where he opens up and says, it shall come to pass in the latter days. There's something that we know, all of us have experienced it, that when it comes to pain, there's an ability that our body has to focus us on that pain. So this morning, uh, this was not supposed to be a part of the talk at all, but this morning I literally sat down to begin the talk and my entire back just went like this and cringed up and I was in pain the whole time. That was not supposed to happen. But the minute that that happened, I'm really glad you weren't here this morning because I felt awful about this morning and the talk because I have no clue what I said, honestly, just being honest. We recorded it. It's going to be deleted because I don't need to go back and visit that because all, all of my thought was going to, okay, you are in immense pain. And if I go like this, am I going to be in pain? If I go like this, am I going to be in pain? I'm drugged up now, so I'm doing fine, everybody. Don't worry, Okay. (laughs) But there's an ability that our body has. It's something that's good and healthy, pain receptors. That when something's taking place physically in our body, we know about it. And the, the immensity of the pain, as it goes up, so does our focus on that pain. Some of us have been in pain to a level where there's nothing else that we can think about. There's nothing else that we can process. All we can do sometimes, we call it a migraine, you know, something that's broken, where all you can do is just lay there and work really, really hard not to think about how much pain you're in because that's just what's naturally happening in our body. This is a good evolutionary thing. It keeps us alive because we can sense and know that we're in pain and we should take care of that thing. But how many of us know what it's like to experience a mounting pressure to experience pain in relationship, to experience mounting pressure or pain when it comes to our job and professional career, when it comes to a relationship, to experience something potentially like the nation of Judah seeing that they, they're not necessarily in pain at the moment, but they see and sense and feel this pressure that's coming from the north and everything in them is worried because they know that this is coming for them. They know that they're next on the list. And how many of us have been there before where we sense and feel this pressure? There's this thing that the minute we kind of calm ourselves and silence ourselves, this anxiety that rises because we know this is coming. Things are potentially going to break down. Things are not going to go the way that I hope, that I want. Finances going to break down. Relationship going to break down. My own life, sanity going to break down. And we sense and feel that. And many of us know what it's like to just get so focused and drilled in on that. And that's all we can think about and that's all we can talk about, if we're honest. And so then many of us have learned to live a life, myself included, I'm, I'm probably the best at this in the room, so don't even try. When it comes to experiencing and sensing that pain and that pressure that's either there or on its way, to be able to put myself in front of a screen, to put myself in front of something else, that is going to distract me away from that pain and that pressure. That's going to get me to think about something else. How many of us, we, like you can't think, and again, I'm the best at this. You can't think about the last time that you just sat in a room by yourself quietly. 
And there's a part of me that has experienced so much anxiety about just the thought of that because I know the minute I calm myself and quiet myself and I'm not just distracting with, look over here, look over here kind of stuff, that there's going to be this pressure. There's going to be this potential for pain that I don't know what I'm going to be able to do with. And so I'd rather just distract and avoid and pretend than than to try and deal with it. I find it incredibly significant that what Isaiah is doing in this moment, in this place of pressure and pain, is rather than trying to just distract, that he uses this phrase in this language of in the latter days. In other words, what he's communicating is that there, yes, is potentially something coming, but this thing that's coming, it's not the end. But there's actually latter days. There's actually something else. Which for me is why I find so much of my life distracted and avoiding the pressure and the pain. Because there's a part of me, if I'm honest, and if you're honest, potentially, that we don't want to go there because we're afraid it is going to be the end of us. It is going to be the end, potentially, of a vision or view or belief we have of our life or how other people's view and how other people view and see us. So we find ourselves in this place just distracting away because we don't think we're going to be able to get through that thing. And here Isaiah, before anything has ever happened, chooses to communicate to his people, to his family, and say, you need to know, there are latter days. This is not the end. But then for me, that he starts there, and then he goes through this process of painting a picture of what these latter days look like. And the latter days don't have anything to do with military dominance. They don't have anything to do with economic stability. He's not saying anything about, don't worry, you guys are going to crush the Assyrians. Trust me, you guys got this. Come on, team. Hoorah. But he's simply communicating and stating, we don't know what's going to happen about all of this stuff. But we do know one thing. There is a belief that you hold that will endure. And independent of whatever happens in the midst of this pressure and this pain, there is something that is going to be on the other end of that, the latter days. I think what we all know and what we all have experienced in life is there are things that just endure. And no matter what happens, there is a choice to look at What's coming? And say, I don't know about all these details. I don't know about this, this, and this, and this, and this. But I do know this is going to last. For me, it happened a couple, few weeks ago. I had the opportunity to go uh, to uh, Kate's parents have a cabin outside of West Yellowstone. It was built in the 70s. It is exactly the same way it was when it was built. kind of smells the same probably when it was built. It smells and looks like a 70s cabin. It's great. And it's not that big. But they decided to have this kind of family reunion. There's 50 people. They were just jammed into this cabin, just generation upon generation upon generation, just crawling over and just eating all day long. That's just what happened for four days because 50 people in this small cabin. Children, kids running around. Kate's parents, you know, staying up late sharing stories that, honestly, I've heard a hundred times, but every time they tell it, it's like, oh, I've never heard this one. You know, those kinds of stories. And it's great. But in the midst of that, 
I was driving up to the cabin. There's no cell phone reception. There's no internet, which makes the cabin a cabin. It's awesome. But as I'm headed up there, there are so many things that are and were happening in my life here in Billings. Things that were going on with relationships, things that were going on with my work, with Art House. We're working to, you know, expand phase two, and there's so much work. I mean, just the mountains of work I had. And I was driving up to the cabin thinking, like, I'm going to take four days and not think about this and touch Like, what? No. And just realizing, like, if I take four days off of this, I'm going to come back and there's going to be, I mean, it's like, I know it sounds silly, but this feeling of pressure of, like, what am I going to show up back to? Because every waking thought and moment in many ways is focused on so many different things that are happening relationally or professionally in my life or even just personally for me and struggles, anxieties and things that are going on in my own life. And I had this moment multiple times. People everywhere. Family everywhere. And I remember sitting on the couch in the living room watching my kids play and these stories being shared and laughter. And it was this moment of, this is what's going to endure. I don't know what's going to happen with Art House. I don't know what's going to happen with this relational piece. I don't know what's going to happen professionally here and how I'm going to be viewed or seen. I don't know what's going to happen financially over here. And I don't know in five years, ten years, if any of this will continue to be a thing. I hope they will. But I do know this, in 50 years, I'm going to get to be that guy that's sitting on the couch telling a story that everybody's heard a hundred times. In 50 years, I'm, I'm going to be that father sitting and having an in-depth conversation with now my adult children. This thing endures. It was in that moment that I think I experienced a lot of what Isaiah is trying to point towards in this text. That when pain and pressure is coming, everything in us wants to focus solely and only on that. And if we can't do that, we just want to distract and avoid. And Isaiah is taking this third path and this third way to say, it, it, yeah, you've got to be honest about what's coming. But at the end of the day, one of the healthiest and most significant things that you can do is to point at what you believe endures. And independent of how any of this stuff goes, this is going to be here. And this is going to last. And this matters. And to find yourself recentering there. This is everything I see happening with the early church when Paul is writing to a church in Corinth. And he says this statement and phrase. He says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall, shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. What's he saying? There's a lot in our lives, in our world that seems foggy. There's a lot of unknowns. There's a lot of things that we wish we, it's like looking in a mirror that was clear that we could just define and see the detail of how everything's going to go and how everything really is. And he's just saying that that's just not the reality of life and our world. And then he goes on to say, so now it's in the midst of this fogginess that faith, hope, and love abide. You could translate that word abide to remain. They stay. They don't go anywhere. But the greatest of these is love. 
Paul is communicating to a community of people and saying, okay, I get it, it's foggy. I get it, we don't understand everything and all the details aren't there, but there's this thing that's going to last past all of this and don't lose sight and don't lose focus of. And for the early church, the early followers of Christ, it was this concept and this idea of love. That in the midst of wondering how everything's going to go, the way you could say it is that love is going to win. And you feel this pressure and you're not quite sure what the best path or the best route is. But guess what? At the end of all of this, love is going to win. It might seem like this is the way to go. This is the, you know, the fad or the way that everybody's telling you that you need to go about it. But at the end of the day, no matter what, love is going to be on the other side of that. And it's everything that I see communicated here within this text in Isaiah chapter 2. That shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. And it shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. What's he saying? This belief and for, within Judaism and in Christianity, a God of justice, hope, of peace, this is what endures. And that might not feel like something that you're experiencing or seeing, but to lean into that, to have hope, anticipation in that. He goes on. He says, and many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. In other words, what's happening? This is something that endures for everybody. This isn't just our little subset, our little tribe. This is humanity, that there would be this experience and this understanding of this is a more beautiful way forward. That he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And then my favorite picture, maybe in all of scripture, I love this picture. It says, he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. In other words, these tools that are used for destruction, tearing people down, they're actually going to go away and we're actually going to see them converted into tools for creativity and life and harvesting beauty. Man, what a picture. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation and neither shall they learn war anymore. It just won't be a part of our conversation and dialogue to just go to war with one another. But peace, this way of Christ, will be what endures. And then he closes it with, O house of Jacob, come let us walk in this light, in this understanding, in this hope, in this anticipation. The question tonight as we enter into Advent is what is it that endures for you? Can you name something. For some, it might be a picture similar to this. It's within the Christian, Judeo kind of approach. For others, it might be something completely separate or different. But I do believe that there is something beautiful and healthy about us understanding there is pain and pressure that is always mounting in our lives. And rather than finding ourselves getting solely focused on that pain, and that's all we can think about, and rather than just distracting ourselves away, to take a moment, to breathe deep, and to ask ourselves the question, okay, I don't know what this is going to be, and I don't know all the details, but what's on the other end? 
what endures, what's in the latter days, and to stay focused and centered there. This is what Advent is about, for us to take a moment and to recenter ourselves on what we anticipate, hope, and believe is coming, independent of the details. And so tonight we come to this table, and it's been the example and the story of Christianity from day one in many ways. But it's in the midst of pain and hardship, brokenness, pressure, that there's something that we can point this towards. And as much as this meal, Christ's body broken and his bloodshed, is about experiencing and understanding that, it's not avoiding it, that we point it towards something, that there is this thing on the other end, new life, resurrection. For me, personally, it would look like I believe that love wins. I believe that forgiveness is the most beautiful way forward. I, I anticipate the day when we are not learning war anymore. But there's this path that we can find, that I can find, and that others around me can find. And I believe that that path will endure whatever's in front of us. Tonight, all are welcome to this table to come take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, and remind yourself to point yourself towards what you believe endures. I, I want to, as we close this evening, um, need to take a little bit of a, a left turn uh, on some things and kind of talk a little bit more broadly about this thing called CMYK and some things that are coming down the pipeline for us. Uh, as you know, I think, um, you know, part of my day job and a lot of my work in life goes towards this space that we're in, Art House Cinema. And um, we have been working over the last few years to raise funds for this thing known as Phase 2. We talk about it on that wall over there. But it's a major expansion project for us here at the theater. And we're going to be adding three screens. Uh, we're going to be converting this space into a restaurant and lobby. We're going to add a kitchen and have food uh, on the menu, these kinds of things. It's, it's been a big project. And I'm, I'm I'm so excited. Some of you I've been able to share this with. I'm so excited that it looks like uh, in the coming months that we are going to be able to break ground on this project and and build out phase two. This is huge. And and I'm you know when you talk about anticipation, this is something I've been hopeful for for a long, 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 long time. But one of the things that we realized a couple months ago in this construction process is that it, it's going to be a major disruption for Art House because it's going to be six to seven months of construction to build all of this. And more significantly for us, a major disruption for CMYK. Because all of the backspace where we store some things, that's going to go away. Where we use our kid care in the basement, that's going to go away because of construction taking place. And even this space up front, while Art House is going to work to stay open through the majority of construction, it's going to be disrupted and some of this space isn't going to be available like it typically is. So a couple months ago, I started having a conversation about, hey, I don't, I don't think we're going to be able to, to meet here anymore. And um, so we started looking at different locations where we could meet. And it's in the midst of that um, that we kind of came to this place of understanding or, or trying to be honest, because as many of you know, that's a huge tenet of who we are and what we're doing, to try and be honest about, okay, it's going to take a, it's a lot of time, a lot of energy. It's going to take some resources and you know, buying some different equipment and things like that to be able to replicate what we're doing when it comes to kids, when it comes to adults, those kinds of things in a different space. And so um, what's that going to take? 
And in the midst of that, just realizing and looking at, okay, we've got a lot of people that call this thing CMYK their community or their church, and it's awesome. And, I, and I, it's some of my favorite people on planet Earth, and uh, we just love it. But coming to this place of looking at the amount of resources that it was going to take to do all of this versus not the people who call CMYK their church or their community, but who's just there regularly on a Sunday, and came to this place of just asking the question, okay, what is that best use of resources? So as some of you in this room know, uh, we started having conversation or starting asking for some feedback from individuals around, okay, here's where we're at, and, and what do we want to do with this? And at the end of the day, we've, we've made a decision, and I'm, I'm so excited to be able to talk about it tonight. Um, we are going to be shifting some things uh, coming in January. So for the next two weeks, we've got two more weeks in December, we're going to just kind of steady Eddie doing what we're doing, morning gathering, evening gathering, all of the same things. But in January, what we feel like is best for the community, the best use of our resources and time and energy, is to go down to one gathering on Sundays. And trying to find the best time to do that is really, really difficult for everybody's schedule, as you can understand. But we feel like we've got the, a, a really good shot at it. And so we're going we're gonna to actually move this gathering an hour early. And we're going to be meeting at 5 p.m. on Sundays. And um, we hope that that works well for your schedule and your life. That's the question that we are asking. And we hope and believe that it's going to work well for those with kids, that it's not too late in the evening as well, that we can all do that. So in looking for a space... We started, okay, where can we go? And as you can imagine, it can be a difficult thing to find a space that has all the things that we've grown accustomed to in many ways here. Uh, particularly when it comes to kid care, you can throw adults in a room pretty easy and we're, we're pretty okay. But finding a space for kids that works for our programming, that's safe, you know, downtown, we can't just throw them outside. So we've got to figure out a space that works. And so um, I'm so excited that we've been having conversations uh, with some people the last few weeks and they're being so generous and kind. And I think that this is going to be really, really really great, that starting on January 5th, we're going to be moving to one gathering at 5 p.m. at Craft Local. And Craft Local is awesome on a lot of levels uh, because, uh, one, uh, let's just start with what matters to you. They have beer. Um, <laughs> uh, two, uh, there is a basement space that's going to work great uh, for our kid care. In fact, it'll probably work better than our current setup here. And three, what I'm most excited about is just the space itself, I think is going to be more conducive to the work that we're trying to do as a community. This is a great space, but it's chairs bolted down in rows. And we're like, hey, come connect with a community as you all face the same direction, um, where Craft Local has lots of tables and chairs, and that's really all it is. And so it's more opportunity to sit at a table of people that maybe you haven't met before and have a conversation with somebody, or to sit at a table with your friends as well, but to be able to make that happen. So I, I, I just got to be really, really honest with you. The last couple of weeks of conversations that we've been having about, hey, I think this is where we need to go. Are, are we on board for this? Are, are we okay with this? So many of you have, have reached out and responded by saying, yep, we're in, and we want to help this thing be a thing. Um, it's been some of the most encouraging stuff that I've gotten to interact with in the last really long, long time. So thank you to those of you that have reached out and, and said the kind words that you have. Because at the end of the day, to see, you know, just the number of response that we've seen from people, to see 50 or 60 people in a room together um, regularly on Sunday nights, it, it, it's just going to be incredible. 
and, and to be able to communicate to those in our city and our community, our friends and family that maybe aren't a part of something like this, that there's a community and a space that wherever you believe, whatever you believe, whatever you don't believe, that this, this, there's this community that is working to see you, to know you, to embrace you wherever you are, that we can find a more beautiful way forward together. We don't just have to get sit and be grumpy with our phones all the time as we see all of the division and all of the heartache and pain and brokenness that's happening in and around us, but we can find a more beautiful way forward together. And I, I just am so genuinely excited and motivated by uh, what's coming and what this space is. And that's because of you bringing, bringing your voice and being a part of that. So that's coming on January 5th. And so thank you to those that, that reached out. Uh, to the last piece to all of this as, as many of you know, um, we do this thing called Sing Along Insider. It's our Christmas Eve gathering, and uh, we have decided that the best thing for us would be to move that to Craft Local because we're moving all of our equipment there at the end of December anyways, so we might as well move it then, give us the opportunity to you know, make sure our kids' space is working. We have all the equipment that we need to you know, launch on January 5th there. So uh, Sing Along Insider is happening on Christmas Eve at 4.30 p.m., and it's at Craft Local. Craft Local is just on Montana Avenue over here down a few blocks, and man, I, I really hope, we don't hype much around here, but I really hope you do everything you can to be here at our Christmas Eve gathering. It's just so much fun to get together and have that. So uh, do your best. We, we weren't sure, so we haven't advertised as much about this because we've been trying to figure out all these parts and pieces, but now that we know, we're going to try to get the word out there in the community that this is a great, great thing, and so many people that aren't even a part of CMYK, this is their Christmas tradition, and they love coming and doing that. So all that to say, that's what's happening in uh, CMYK land, and thank you for all of you for being a part of this thing. So as always, if there's anything that we can do for you, please reach out and let me or let someone around you know. Uh, we're going to be back next week and continuing on in this conversation on Advent and what that means. 